Uh, my name is Alvin. If you are here for the first time, I serve as lead pastor here. And we just had our Create Camp this past week, which is what you got to see. And uh, sorry, but the, the 9 a.m. service got a live performance from the kids. But it's on YouTube, so feel free to see what they did. But uh, they were awesome, and it's just cool seeing all that they learned. I got to peek my head in and see just all that was happening in here. They had a full bounce house in the sanctuary and uh, just gave just a, a, great, a great time. And I do want to acknowledge all of the adults that it took to make Create Camp happen. They gave their mornings, they gave their afternoons, they gave their energy, a lot of energy. They had artists come, we had choreographers come, we had music teachers come, teachers come. Yeah, seriously. I'm so, I, never get, I never get over just the, how, how, how sweet it is when you see people give their hearts and their talents to the Lord, especially in the area of kids. So. Praise God for Create Team, Kids Life. I see some T-shirts in here. Um, good to see all y'all. Um, I do want to acknowledge uh, our fearless leader for the week for Create Camp. We had Claire Sayers um, really execute. And her right hand, Tia Evans, was right there. And they, uh, they put in some heavy duty work. Um, and not to mention all of the team that took to support it, and uh, it's just it's amazing. So praise God for all you guys. Um, also last, well, yesterday, I'm not sure. Some of us might, might have been here. I got my car clean at the fundraiser for Kenya. There's a car wash. There's a car wash for everybody who's raising money to go to Africa. I'm taking a group uh, to Kenya uh, in October. We're going to build a church out there. And uh, there's a lot of people who want to come, and they've been putting in work to raise money. So, uh, yeah, they, they, my car looks great. I'm so happy that I got to get my car washed by my friends. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for the trip. And if you ever want to support, you can go to our website and uh, donate money. If you want to support anybody who's wanting to go to Kenya, there's still people who are raising money. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what God does when we get out in Nairi, Kenya. Um, I want to get into the word of God. I know that's, well, I hope that's why you guys are here. Um, that's why I'm here, uh, to share the word and to, to enjoy the word. It's been a blessing to me preparing for it, and my prayer is that it's a blessing to you. Uh, shout out to everybody watching online as well. I hope this is a blessing to you as we get into the scriptures. Um, so repeat these words after me. Say, uh, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it, and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so the theme for 2022, we've got a theme for this year at Nashville Life, and it's withstanding the wind. And as when we were praying for 2022, um, I just sensed that it was going to be a, a year where there was going to need to be uh, training in preparation on how to withstand the difficulties of this walk. Uh, the Bible is very clear that this walk is filled with blessings and joy and miracles and fruit and abundant life, but Jesus also does not sugarcoat 
the fact that this walk will be difficult as well. And the life of following Jesus is, is, is it comes with difficulties. Difficulties where so much to where Jesus said it's few people find his way because it is so difficult. But the good news of Jesus, he's a good shepherd and he provides us with the tools and the revelation and the support and the courage and the power that we need to withstand these difficulties and, and make it to the end. And uh, when it comes to withstanding the wind, we are actually focusing on different challenges that come in a believer's life each month. And the idea is that throughout the year, as we get into the Word and as we see the help that the Word gives us, we'll be able to be a people where our feet are planted and we're, and we're rooted. So even though the winds are blowing, we're able to, to withstand those winds and stand firm in our faith, stand firm in the love of God, and, and endure and even grow. So the wind that we're talking about for the month of July has been the wind of futility. Futility is a challenge that all of us have to overcome um, in our walks with the Lord. The definition of futile is in Webster as serving no useful purpose, completely ineffective. And that is something that Romans 10, Romans 8, I'm sorry, tells us that the whole world was subjected to. The world was created to be full of purpose, full of fruit, full of effect. But when sin entered the world way back with Adam and Eve, what happened is the Bible says that all of creation was subjected to futility. So the things that were meant to be effective became ineffective. The things that were meant to be fruitful became barren. The things that were meant to be full of life became full of death. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come and he has broken the curse with his blood of futility. So we are no longer subjected to this, but through, through Jesus we are saved from futility and we're able to be fruitful and multiply and to be effective the way we were intended to be. So this is one big encouragement and even a charge to, to be saved from futility, to be delivered from futility and walk in the effectiveness that God created you to walk in. And there's a passage that, that's going to really kick us off with a way to be effective. Jesus gives us some insight in this next passage of how to avoid futility and how to walk in effectiveness. It's in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 28. And this is what he says in verse 22. Uh, it says, then one was brought to him, him being Jesus. One was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. So it was a miracle. Verse 23, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against its, itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, 
he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Verse 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon us. So there's a lot in this passage, but I think it really sets a tone of what I'm trying to communicate today. What's happening in this moment is Jesus is out here, he's doing ministry, and he's casting out demons. People who are blind are being able to see. People who are mute are being able to speak. And I think it's safe to say that he's being very effective in his purpose, very effective in his ministry. Things are happening. And even though he's being effective, and even though his acts are godly, not everybody's receiving it or perceiving it as an act of God. Some people are saying, oh, man, this is proof that this person is really the son of David. Maybe he's, you know, this could be God. But some other people are accusing, saying that he's actually using the power of the devil to cast out devils. And his response to these Pharisees, that's the group that said that he was using demonic power to drive out demons. And his response to them uh, was also very, is also, I should say, very insightful for us, people who are wanting to be effective. And he's letting us in on a great principle that you need to take with this. Uh, Jesus is basically communicating in the passage I just read that he knows about organization. And he knows what makes any organization successful. And that is unity. He says, whether right or wrong, the Lord is trying to let us know that whether it's for a good cause or a bad cause, if it's united, it will be effective. So, according to the logic of the Pharisees, Jesus is saying, if the devil is casting out his own demons that belong to his kingdom, then that means there's some great division happening in the kingdom of the, of the devil, in the kingdom of darkness. And there's no way that a kingdom that's as effective as the kingdom of darkness would be as divided as what you guys are suggesting when he's talking to the Pharisees. If you, you can say a lot of thing about the, you can say a lot of things about the kingdom of darkness, but one thing you can't say is that they have had no effect. That's one thing you can't say about the enemy's camp. He has had effect. And the proof of it is, is why the gospel is needed for this day, because the enemy has had effect. He is defeated, but we cannot say he has not been effective in our world. And what Jesus is saying is there's no way that a kingdom could be this effective and there's that much division happening in his camp. Jesus says anything divided against itself cannot stand. Division, even by definition, actually breaks down as two visions. Die is a prefix that means two. So two visions equals division. Whenever there are two visions within one entity, it will be futile and it will fall. Whenever there is a single vision within an entity, it will be effective. And this applies for things that are good and things that are evil. When there's one vision, it will be effective. When there's two visions within one, it will fall. Jesus is letting us know that Satan has one kingdom, and that kingdom has one vision. And that vision is very simple, and that is get the devil inside of people so that people don't get in Christ. 
get the devil in people so that people will not be in Christ. That is the vision. That is the goal. And that's what they all work together to see happen. So when Jesus is accused by the Pharisees of casting out demons by the power of demons, that would mean that the kingdom of darkness had two visions. And that is get the devil in people and also cast demons out of people. And Jesus goes, that just doesn't make sense. That's what he's telling the Pharisees. He says, your, your accusation is not even logical. That would mean that the kingdom of darkness wants the devil in people and wants the devil out of people. What's really happening, Jesus says, is the kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God has one vision as well. And that is get the devil out of people so that people can be in Christ. So we've got one kingdom that says, let's get the devil in people so people can stay out of Christ. And we have another kingdom that's saying, let's get the devil out of people so that people can be in Christ. Jesus says that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. There is a work that the devil is doing. And Jesus, when he came on the scene, he said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. He said that Satan has come to kill, come to steal, come to destroy, and I've come to give you life I've come to reverse the, effect, the effects and reverse the efforts of the enemy. This is what Jesus said was his purpose. So we learn by his response to the Pharisees that anything that is unified will stand and anything that is divided will fall. Division equals futility. If you want something to be ineffective, make sure it's divided. And if you want something to be effective, make sure that it's united. It's a principle that applies all around in any situation. We see this principle all throughout Scripture. And I was thinking of all the times, you know, when your eyes are open to something, you just see it everywhere. You know, when you see this principle, almost everything in Scripture, you're like, oh, my gosh, there it is. That's how principles work. And the one that stuck out to me was the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is an example of people that had a, had a unified cause and they wanted to build this city. And this city meant to glorify people. They said they wanted to make a name for themselves. And the way they did that, they said they wanted to build a tower that would reach the heavens. And it was sort of this kind of arrogant flex against God. And that was the idea and that was the plan. And the thing about it is, is they were doing it. They were actually being successful because of one word, unity. So this is an example of where the Lord actually uses this principle um, to, to make something that was successful become futile. Let's read uh, Genesis 11. Genesis 11, 6 through 8. God says, look, he said, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Now, this is the Lord God speaking, saying that he sees a unified people and therefore nothing will be impossible for them. That's how strong the principle of unity works. Even if you're doing something that God doesn't want, if it's united, it will be effective. Therefore, verse 7, he says, come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. Something was being effective that the Lord wanted to stop, 
And as long as unity was active with what they were doing, he knew that he wouldn't be able to stop them. So he had to disunite them. He had to cause division and confusion in their efforts to stop their success and to stop them from being effective. We see the same theme in the New Testament with God when Jesus is speaking. And this used to really bother me. Maybe it bothered you guys. But it's in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 37. Jesus says, and this used to trip me out, but I'm going to try to bring some clarity so you guys aren't confused. It says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. And I'm like, what? This is the Prince of Peace? Talking about this? This doesn't make sense. It says, I have not come to bring peace. Wait, what? But a sword. But I have come to set, for I have come to set a man against his father. Wait, I thought he was reconciled the sons and the fathers. What's happening? And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, guys, we have another example where God seems to be bringing division. And this used to really bother me. But I had to realize the principle, guys. Division means futility. When something is divided, that means it is futile. So there are things apparently that God wants to see be effective, and there's things apparently that God wants to see be futile. And based on what he wants to see succeed is where he wants unity. So if God wants to see something thrive, if he wants to see something succeed, he is going to assure that unity is happening. If he wants to see something crumble, if he wants to see something fall, he's going to make sure that division is happening. John chapter 2, verse 19. I'm going somewhere. Please stay with me. Jesus answered them, said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So we see that there was a temple and there was a kingdom that the Lord wanted to tear down so that something else could be built up. Have you ever been in a situation where something had to be completely torn down for you to assemble it? Maybe it was a, a, a rectoset or some kind of toy or something where we got to start over. In order for this to be built back up right again, I've got to actually make this come apart to rebuild. And, you know, we call, that's what rebuilds are. Even renovations, you got to break down a wall to put the new one up, and that's how it works. There was a renovation happening in the kingdom of God. The, the sword that Jesus said he wanted to bring, the reason why he gave those, that, that, that troubling language of I've come not to bring peace but to bring a sword is because of what was happening. When Jesus had entered the scene, when he was born, the state of God's people had really uh, regressed into something that it was never meant to be. God's people was always meant to be something built on faith and the spirit of God. Even going back to Abraham, it was built on faith and it was built on the spirit of God. But by the time Jesus came onto the scene, the God's people, it had, it had changed into being something that was built by the flesh. It turned, it went from being something that was supposed to be built on faith and the spirit to something that was built on bloodline, race, uh, nationality, natural things. So we had, a, we had people walking around with no doubt that they were God's people, and they had no heart for God, no faith in him, no love for him. But because their ancestors were godly, they thought that meant that they were too. So you had people walking around being like, we are God's chosen people, and they didn't know God. 
and it was solely based on a flesh situation. We had a situation where uh, you were righteous by circumcision of the flesh. Everything was a flesh. It was a flesh-supported kingdom, and God is about spirit. He says, I'm about faith. I am not about building things on the flesh. In fact, the flesh gets in my way. So what was happening is he had a kingdom. He was seeing that there was a kingdom that was intended to be built by faith and built on the spirit and, was built, and it was built on, on race. It was built on, on nationality. It was built on who your mom was and who your dad was. And, and your father wasn't from Abraham, so you're not. And he goes, that's not that's not what I'm meant to be, so I have to tear this down because you guys have made something that was meant to be about faith, you've made about flesh. So I've got to bring some division. I've got to make it to where there's some people who believe and there's some, some people who don't. I've got to make sure because this can't stand. In order for the kingdom that I'm wanting to build, a kingdom built on the spirit to stand, anything that's built on the flesh has got to go. So he says, I've got to tear down this kingdom. I've got to tear down this temple so that I can rebuild something that is of my spirit. And let's see what that thing was. That thing was in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 through 19. Some of you guys know this. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So now we see that the Lord is building something that he wants to see be effective. Just like he wanted something else to be futile, he says, I want to give the church the keys to the kingdom to where they are highly effective. Everything they bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Everything they loose on earth is going to be loose in heaven. They will be an effective people. And since unity is required for effectiveness, you're going to see the things that God does concerning the church. He wants unity to be a huge thing because he wants it to be effective. So with the same force and the same passion that the Lord is wanting unity to happen in things that he wants to see succeed, he apparently is wanting division to happen in things that he doesn't want to succeed. John chapter 17, verse 22 verse through 23. Verse 23 to 23 of John 17. This is the ultimate unity scripture. It says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be what? They may be what? Even as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly, perfectly, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The Lord is calling for the church to be effective. And if you want to know how the church is being effective, it's when the world knows that Jesus is Lord and when they know that they are loved by the Father. I love how both of those, and he says, so the world may see that you sent me and that you love them. That's when we know we're being effective. Not when our music is great, which I want it to be great. Not when our programs are great and I want them to be great. Not when our parking lot is big enough and I want it to be big enough. I want these things to be, but we are not effective unless the world knows that Jesus is Lord and the world knows that they are loved by a father. And for us to be effective, praise God, yes. But guys, we can't just wish ourselves to that level of effectiveness. 
Because there is no prayer, there is no wish that will make us effective if we are not unified. We have to be one, which is why the Lord says, please make them one so that they can be effective. Because the principle is that you can't be effective unless you're united. So we see that there are things that the Lord wants to see be effective. And for those things, the things that the Lord wants to be effective, he is wanting it to be unified. And the things that the Lord doesn't want to be effective, the last thing he wants is for it to be unified. And I think it's important for us to hear this because we need to understand the Lord is not for unity uh, independent of context. A lot of times we use the scripture, God is not the author of confusion. And we put a period there. And that's the truth. But the full scripture of that verse says, God is not the author of confusion in church. Why? Because the church is called to be effective. Therefore, if there's division and confusion, the church won't be effective. And the reason why I have to clarify that is because we can be confused when we're reading our Bible. Because the same God that says that he's not the author of confusion in this verse is the same God that's causing division in the Tower of Babel. The same God that is saying be unified in the spirit is the same God that's making the Philistines confuse and fight each other so that they can lose the battle against God's people. It's about context, guys. The Lord wants to unify things that he is called to be effective. Now, this is a principle that applies to everything. It applies to everything, any kind of collective. Obviously, the church. Uh, this applies to marriage. This applies to family for a household. This applies to a company. If you're a business owner, you got to have a unified staff. This applies to sports teams, coaches. You know, you got to have unity on a team if you want to see it to be effective. Even sometimes more than talent. Unity is so important. We see it in, in bands and in, in choirs. Anytime there's a collective, there's got to be unity if you want the goal to happen, if you want to be effective in what you're setting out to do. But I want you guys to know this doesn't just apply to collectives. This principle actually applies on an individual level. Stick with me. John chapter 1, verse 2 through 8. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, sorry, James, what I say? James, thank you. Unity. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. James, chapter 1, 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So there goes that word again. The Lord is, is, is pushing for his people, and he's, 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 he's charging us to be effective. He says you've been called to be effective, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Tune in, guys. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
that is driven and tossed by the wind, which is why we're learning about how to withstand these winds. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, sorry, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person is when there are two visions within one person, two identities within one person, two directions within one person, two beliefs within one person. And the word of God is trying to let us know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And the good news of the gospel, it's not the way that it has to be anymore. Because Jesus says that he has come to, to break the curse of futility so that we can be fruitful, so that we can be effective. And we already know that nothing can be effective if it's not united. God is wanting all of you to be effective in your lives. But the doubt and who you are as a person, and what God has called you to do, and what he's graced you to do, it will make you futile. It'll make you ineffective. This is why the word of God says, let this mind be in you. It doesn't say let these minds be in you. The Lord is trying to save us from double-mindedness. He's trying to save us from split personalities. He's trying to give us a singular mind. And this is when he starts describing what that mind is. And it's the mind of Christ. Anything. The reason why God wants us to have one mind is not because he's just after controlling us. The reason why he wants us to have one mind is because he knows that one mind is the only way you're going to be effective. So I'm asking you all not to resist the God that is for you. He actually wants you to be more effective than you even realize you can be. But he says as long as you are divided within yourself, split in your heart, split in your mind, indecisive about key things about who God is and what he's calling you to do, you will start to cancel out your efforts. It's like every step you take up, you take a step back again. And imagine doing that forever. Like, one step up, oh, one step back. One step to the right, one step to the left. One step to the left. One, and, like, you start, your, you start finding yourself just doing this. Every step that you move forward, there's another mind that says go back. Move forward, move back, move forward, move back. And this is the way a lot of our lives are. Now, technically, am I moving? Am I moving my body? Am I exhausting energy? Am I progressing anywhere? And that's the sadness of the life that God is trying to save us from. Too many of us are exhausted and we're not getting anywhere. Because every time we make a step, there's another mind that tells us to move back. And every time we go this way, there's another mind that's telling And every time we, I'm in, okay, I'm out. No, I'm out, now I'm in. I'm, and our 20s go by. And our 30s go by. And we are exhausted. We're sweating. But have we progressed anywhere? No. Have we, 
Maybe if I change directions, it'll work. Well, yeah, but then you. And the Lord goes, it is not until you get one mind that can actually stick that you will actually find yourself taking steps and going somewhere. He wants you to move. He wants you to be effective. He wants you to progress. He wants you to grow. He wants you to excel. But you got to keep the same mind long enough to actually get somewhere. This is why he says when you got two minds, this is you. And like you're moving, but it's like what? You know, you get the point. My prayer is that we understand what the Lord is, is really trying to get us to experience. Everything, when it comes to his church and his people, he's pro-progress and advancement and growth and movement and progression and effect and I actually believe the reason why we're here because we want that. I think the person who's doing this wants to get somewhere. I don't think this is really what they had in mind for their life. They've got the vision boards. They've got the dreams. They've got the diaries. They've got the convic con uh, conventions that they go to. They've got the seminars. They want to get there. But the Lord is telling you that... Despite all the wishes and the prayers, until you adopt a single mind, you won't move. Until, until you choose unity for your own self. Forget about unity within the collective. The first step is we've got we've to adopt the mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ. The word says, let one mind be in you. And the beauty of the church, and this is the idea, just to kind of cast some vision here. The idea from the church is that, hallelujah, we, we, if I choose one mind, the mind that the Bible says to have in me, which is the mind of Christ. And um, Miss Janet adopts the mind of Christ. And then Marion adopts the mind of Christ. And Austin gets the mind of Christ. And Jenny Kane, I always say your full name, Jenny Kane gets the mind of Christ. And Byron and Jasmine and Caden. That's what the unity of the body of Christ is. Not because we're all the same people, not because we have the same ideas, not because we come from the same place, but we've all chosen the same mind for ourselves. So if I choose the mind of Christ and Matt chooses the mind of Christ, we actually have the same mind. Some of y'all, we've read those scriptures about one mind. Like, how can you have one mind? One mind is when everybody chooses the mind of Christ. So even though we're various bodies, we have one mind, hence unity. That's how it's achieved. It's not just a thought. It's not just a wish. We actually have to choose, first of all, unity within ourselves. What do I believe? 
Who have I been called to be? What is my mission in life? And when we all choose the mission of Jesus, when we all choose the mind of Jesus, that's how you'll have 400 people with the same mind. 4,000 people with the same mind. 4 million people with the same mind. That doesn't happen unless every individual chooses for themselves the mind of Christ. Hence unity. Hence effectiveness. And that's the thing, guys. We're not wanting unity for like a group photo. Because that's a moment. The purpose of unity is for effectiveness. The Lord says you, you will not be effective until we're one. Jesus says a house divided against itself, it can't stand. No matter how much promise, no matter how much potential, no matter how much capacity, unless it's united, it will not stand. And this applies to collective things, and this applies to you. Double-minded is two visions in one person. Two minds in one. And my prayer is that we allow Jesus to deliver us from division, first off, in our own selves. When James was... It's not even my notes. The Bible is the best, I'm telling you. James was talking about when people were fighting in church. And he said, it's not, even the, it's not even the other person that you're fighting. He says, you're split inside yourself. James actually says, the reason why you're fighting, because there's a war within you as an individual. Guys, I'm not making this up. I promise you this is the wisdom of the Lord. This is from Scripture. The re whenever there's fighting going on, it's because there's division even within the individual. I promise I'm not making this up, guys. The first step is you've got to resolve the war within your own head. You've got to resolve the division within your own heart. And when you are actually standing in a singular mind as a singular person, the way that God has called you to be, you will find peace with others so much more doable. So I'm totally convinced this isn't going to be an altar call about unity in the church. When I made the message, I thought it was going to be about that. But as I start going, we're talking about unity within ourselves. Which is good news because you can't control the church, but you can control yourself. So it's, this is good news. The Lord is not giving you anything that you're not responsible for or anything that you're not able to handle. You can handle yourself. I might not be able to deal with the wars happening out there, but I can deal with the war that's happening in my head. I can deal with the war that's happening in my heart. I might not be able to solve a whole body of Christ becoming one, but I can make sure that I'm one. And if enough people choose that, you'll slowly start to see unity, 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 unity. It doesn't take many. Seven people unified, eight people unified. And we know that this principle works. If we're unified, we will be effective. And the way the church is effective is when the world sees that Jesus is Lord and when they know that they are loved by the Father. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the word of God. Hallelujah. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, God, that above and all, above and first and foremost, Lord, I just believe the word is that you want us to be effective. Lord, you are speaking to those of us who've been, who've been going around circles. Lord, who've been doing square boxes around ourselves, God, and, and, and moving but not getting anywhere. And you see the frustration that it's bringing. And you see the, the hurt that it's bringing and the, the, the sadness that it's bringing. And you are, are moved with compassion in this moment. I just feel that you have compassion for us who, who, who want to get ahead and want to get forward but are stuck. And your word is saying that there is no need to be futile. It's no longer necessary because you came, you died on the cross, you shed your blood, and you made a way for us to walk out of the prison doors. You made a way for us to walk out of the prison even in our own minds. And Lord, you've given us a mind. A mind that is one, that is united. A mind that's complete. A mind that is whole, which means all the parts are working with each other, not against each other. And Lord, I just pray, myself included, God, we, we want your mind. We want the unity that comes with your mind. Mend the broken hearts, the hearts that have been split into two. Mend the hearts back together. In fact, give us a new heart. Just take that one out and give us a heart that is like you. God, I speak to every marriage and I speak unity to every marriage. Lord, unify them not because they don't have different ideas, they don't have different personalities. But unify them because that's the only way, according to your word, that they'll be effective in their marriage. You want every marriage in Christ. You want every marriage to be effective. And effectiveness requires unity. I speak unity to every household. Let the unity of the parents, Lord, bring unity with the kids. And God, let the households be unified. Not so they can be robots, but so they can be effective. This is about effectiveness. Lord God, we ask for unity with our, with our businesses and our companies, with our teams, God. With this church, God. Thank you, Jesus. My prayer is that during this space, 
the Holy Spirit is showing you how to say goodbye to the other minds, to the other thoughts, to the other ideas, the other visions. Because the way it works with the mind of Christ, in order to have the mind of Christ, you've got to say goodbye to the old minds that you used to have lead your life. You can't be defeated and more than a conqueror at the same time. You have to choose a mind and a vision and a direction if you want to get there. physical bodies are in perfect alignment. I pray for wholeness even in their physical. I pray healing in the name of Jesus. Anything where there's division in their physical bodies, autoimmune diseases or things where, where the body is attacking itself, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I speak physical healing in the name of Jesus. I pray for every cell in their body to operate in unity, every organ to operate in unity, brain activity, operate in unity in the name of Jesus Christ. We have the authority to claim unity over ourselves. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to ask us all to stand. Now, a lot of this talk has been about having one mind. And as a, as a Christian, as a pastor of a Christian church, there's only one mind that I've been ordained to offer you. And that's the mind of Christ. That's the only mind that we're giving out here. Because when the mind of Christ is yours and you, and, you, and you make yourself exclusive to his mind, you will see abundant life in every area of your life. Remember, this principle doesn't just apply to church. This applies to every area of your life. There's got to be unity if you want to see that area of your life effective. And I believe that Jesus is the mind. The mind of Christ has the power.
to, to speak unity into all the different parts of your life. Some of you guys are going to be blown away with how far you're going to progress simply from choosing a mind. Because it's not that you don't have the energy. You're just tired of giving out the energy and not going anywhere. You guys, some of you guys are going to see yourself even give less energy and go further. A single-minded person can do less and go further than a double-minded person can do a lot. I really do believe that. So I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me. And it's going to give us all an opportunity to choose Jesus. Some of you guys choose him again. Because his mind will unify your life. It'll unify your relationships. It'll unify your marriage. And the cool thing about it is his mind will cause the things that you want to fall down to fall. Because the same God that brings unity to things that bring life, he brings desolation to the things that kill you. Guys, do you know that when people get saved, that's division happening in the enemy's camp? How many of you guys experience being in total unity with your sinful friends? And then you get saved, and it was like, I don't, I don't agree with y'all no more. Like, I don't want to do. The division happened. Every time someone gets saved, that's more division happening in the plot of the enemy, in the kingdom of the enemy. People start having a change of mind and a change of heart, and I don't, I don't want to operate with you. I'm over here. So I'm telling you that, guys, that because you will see the things in your life that are meant to prosper, prosper, and the things in your life that are meant to falter, fall down. Those walls of Jericho that just seem so united, it'll fall. I'm telling you, your life will never be the same. So repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day in the name of Jesus. Let's all say amen. Praise God. Praise God. The enemy's camp is being scattered this very moment. There were united plans of the enemy that have now been destroyed because you got a new mind. You got a new vision. You got a new direction for your life. Meanwhile, unity is happening in the body of Christ. More people are choosing the mind of Christ. Praise God. I'm going to let you guys go.
you said yes to Jesus, I want to congratulate you. I want to tell you, you made the right choice. Continue in that choice. We don't want it to be a step forward and then, oh, we want to stay in that same direction. That's where we come in. That's where the body of Christ comes in. We want you to continue in this mind. And the way you do that is just get connected. We got two people here that will be praying for you at the end of church. If anyone wants prayer for anything, we are here to support you because it's our job to care and it's our desire that you continue in the mind that you've chosen today. You can also text BELONG to 77411. And if you do that and you let us know that you said yes to Jesus, we've got some scriptures for you that will help you continue in this mind that you've chosen today. Um, if you would like to give, thank you in advance. We've got, you can give online. We also have our team in the back with buckets. We, we thank you. Thank you for helping us build the kingdom of God through this ministry. Um, and then, yeah, lastly, we got baptisms next week. Love for you guys to come if you want to get baptized or watch at your second service. Um, we've got next step in two weeks. Not next week. So if you want to get involved in the church, stick around for a couple weeks. We would love to get you connected to the church. And then really the, 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 the 21 days of prayer and fasting. I really believe that God's going to do some great things. But in context, context to the message, I think he's going to bring some, some supernatural unity. Because I believe as we pray, the Lord's going to renew our minds. And we're going to find ourselves connected simply by praying, coming to God and praying. And the Lord's going to give us the next steps. But I think he wants this second half of the year to be a, a very effective uh, second half. And I think that this prayer and fasting is going to provide the unity that's required for that effectiveness to happen. So be really praying about coming around uh, to as many mornings as you can, if not all of them. I'll be here. So uh, I'd love to pray with you. I want to dismiss you. Uh, Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for your word. I pray that it forms root in their lives and produces fruit in their lives as well. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. We thank you. Amen. Have a great rest of your day. Love you.